The stage was set. Mom had made the huge bowl of popcorn. We had adjusted the rabbit ears on our television just right so that we could get the channel in out of Indianapolis. The wind was blowing in the right direction for a perfect viewing of Alex Haley's Roots saga. I was a very, very young child. Probably the one movie that had more impact on my life than any other film that I had ever watched. It addressed a topic that in the small town I came from, people didn't talk about very much. That was the issue of slavery. And my dad and mom made it a point that the whole family would sit down and watch the entire miniseries. But there was a touching moment that in preparation for this sermon, I recalled. And it's the moment in which Kunta Kinte is born to his parents in an African village. And in the dark of the night below the moon, his father takes him out and he raises him high to the stars. And he asks his blessing, God's blessing upon the young baby. And he offers the young baby to God to be blessed. So with arms wide open, his family received the child and he goes to hand the child back to a God whose arms are wide open. So this morning we'll speak of this. This morning we will be in the text of First Samuel chapter one. If you have a Bible and want to open it there. I'll primarily stay in that text this morning. Every great individual's life begins with birth. Conception, actually. But when a child is born, an individual's life begins. And so all great individuals' lives begin here. In the Old Testament, we find a story of the birth of a child to a woman named Hannah. And to her husband, Elkanah. Now, Elkanah had two wives. He had Hannah and he had Penina. I remember, I think it was Dalton. I can't remember. I've got three boys, four boys, if you count the oldest one as well. And so questions have come in different waves. But I do remember, and I believe it was Dalton asking me one time, Dad, why would anybody want two wives? Well, it's kind of explained here in one sense because Hannah's womb was closed by God while Penina was actually able to give Elkanah children. And in this culture, you were distinguished if you had children, if you had livestock and if you had land. So you were looked upon much higher if you had these things. So you can imagine some of the difficulties that Hannah had in her life, being unable to give a child. Now, Elkanah takes his wives and they go to Shiloh to worship there. And while they're there, his wife, he get, Elkanah gives his wives and children their portion of the food that they brought. And here's something interesting in the text beginning. And this all starts in the first part of First Samuel. There's something interesting. He gives Hannah... An extra portion, even though she can't give him what he needs and wants to be 
distinguished. Why? Because he loved her. He loved her and he knew there was something about her that was a bit different. And we're going to find out here shortly what that is. She was the one she was the one who was always provoked. She was always teased by her rival, Penina. Can you imagine what it was like to live in a household where you were the one that couldn't give the husband what he wanted and needed, but the other one could? Could you imagine the teasing? And the way that would make you feel. Now, where they are at in Shiloh is the place where Hophni and Phinehas worked for their father, Eli, in the temple. It was a place of worship that they went to. And in her deepest and darkest depression, Hannah vows that if God will just give her a child, she will dedicate that child the rest of its life to service to God in the temple. She was dedicated to the one who gave life. Now, I want you to to think for just a moment, those of you who are parents, the first time you held that child, did you ever ask the question, I wonder what great thing this child will do? I wonder where and when and how this child will define itself amongst the world. You know, Jeanette and I, Uh, We had our ideas with our kids like everyone does. But I grew up with a very special individual, someone who I knew um, from from a very small age on up. His name is is Matt Painter. He's the basketball coach at Purdue University. Matt was interesting and his family was interesting from the standpoint that from the time he was very small, he was being prepared to be a basketball player. In fact, his mom is about five foot five. His dad's about six foot two. And somehow or another, they ended up with a six, seven shooting point guard. Somehow or another, through their preparation and work, Matt was molded into a basketball player that became an all state basketball player in Indiana, an Indiana all star went on to play at Purdue University and then went on to take over for Coach Gene Cady when he retired. So the basketball, the full court basketball out in his backyard with the glass backboards and all that preparation that his family did worked. Now, I remember a night and and I want to I want to preface this by telling you, I know this happened with each child at least once. So if you see Jeanette's head shaking when I say this. I'm not lying. She's just forgetting. I can remember sitting in the rocking chair with the boys late at night after dark with the lights out. And rocking them and wondering what great thing will this child do? Now, I know that happened at least once. You know, there are some unbelievable and unforgettable moments that happen in our lives in preparation for this sermon, I was thinking through some of the things in my life that were kind of benchmarks. I remember the divorce of my parents. I was five years old. Can't remember anything before that, but I remember that day. I remember my mother's remarriage. 
It came just a few months later, probably had something to do with the first. To be real honest, as I look back now. I remember the blizzard of 1978 and digging tunnels over to the next door neighbor's house. You didn't shovel through it. You dug tunnels through it. I remember the shooting of Ronald Reagan. Because I remember that day, my uncle and I were restringing our fishing poles, getting ready to go on the first spring fishing trip. And I remember the fishing poles went up so that everybody could huddle around the TV and watch and figure out what was happening in our nation. I remember the day I was adopted, my graduation, my wedding day, the start of my career in Tool and Die and the start of my ministry. But there is nothing that equals the moment to the birth of my children. I remember holding each one of them. I remember loving each one of them. And I remember asking the question of what great thing will this child do? I wish I would have just remembered one more part of that question, though, because it wasn't important at the time. I wish I would have said, what great thing will this child do for God? See, I wasn't mature in my relationship with God at that point in my life. I wasn't someone who realized that God had given me this gift with my arms wide open and he had his arms wide open, ready for me to hand that gift back and say, God, help me mold this child. Help me, Lord, help me be a blessing to this child so that this child can walk its journey and learn how to be like you as well. See, I had kind of taken it that he had given me that child to do that and me only. And that, folks, that's not the way it works. And in our text today, we're going to learn that we're going to start in in first Samuel one, chapters twenty one through twenty eight. Let's read that together. Twenty one. Through twenty eight. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with all his family to offer his annual sacrifice to the Lord and to follow to, and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband, Elkanah, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with the three along with a three-year-old bull and ephah and a flower and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. She remembered her prayer to God to give her a child. And so she takes that child and she fulfills her portion of that conversation to give him back. And he goes before God and serves him the rest of his life. Now, here's a question that I think we we need to ask is. Where do you begin 
when you're raising a child. I was at one of the local high schools the other day, just a bragging father here for just a minute. One of the boys had left his backpack at home. You know, the one that has all of his school books in it. And so I carried into the school and I set it down at the security desk and I, I said, you know, can you I'm not going to embarrass one of them. They told me to quit doing that. But I said, can you have one of those kids? You can narrow it down to a couple. Um, can you have this child come up? And I said, you know, how do you not bring your books to school? Like, how do you do that? You're going to school. And the gentleman took my hand and he said, Mr. Dishman. He said, your kids are in that play. They're doing a great job. They got a lot on their plate. You have great kids. You ought to write a book. I thought, dude, you need to just come live with us for about a week because you don't realize how far off you are. Where do you start with children? And I'll tell you where we began. We began with knowing they're not going to be perfect. We began by knowing that because they come from our bloodline, they'll be far from it. But we've given them back to God. And we've let God guide us. And where we fell short and where they fall short, we let God intervene to make them perfect. And that's where you start. And Hannah understood that. You know, Samuel became some great things. Listen to this for just a second. He was a great prophet of the 20th century B.C. Samuel became a servant in the tabernacle under Levi. Samuel was the vessel from which God moved his people from rule from a judge to rule from a king. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but that's very important in what will happen later in Samuel's life. And Samuel was the servant that replaced King Saul with King David. And so he brought the line of the Messiah into royalty. Now, how important is that? Because that's part of the prophecy on down the road. What did Samuel do? The one, the child that his mother gave him back to God? Well, he became the only character, the only Bible person identified in the Old Testament that was all three of these things in one. The first is prophet. Look at 1 Samuel 3 and verse 20. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was an attest, was attested as a prophet of the Lord. So the first thing he was, was he was a prophet. The second thing he was, was he was a priest. Look at first Samuel seven, verse nine. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard it. They were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it you know, as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. So he was a prophet. He was a priest. And finally, he was a judge or in later context, a king. Look at first Samuel 15 through 17. Samuel continued as Israel's leaders 
all of the day of, days of his life. From year to year, he went to a, to, a, to a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always, but he always went back to Ramah where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar to the Lord. So he was prophet, he was priest, and he was judge, or in the later context, king. Now, who does that resemble? He is the Old Testament symbol of the Messiah. He was the one person that those who learned about the Old Testament could go back and see because Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest and the ultimate king. Look at this. The ultimate prophet, Matthew 21, verse 11. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The ultimate priest, Hebrews 9 and verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation, the ultimate priest. And finally, in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we learn about the ultimate king. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Samuel, whose mother made a promise to God and then fulfilled that promise to God by giving her child back to the arms of God, which is always wide open, created a an example, the only example in Old Testament Scripture of, a, of, of the, the prophet and priest and king that one day our Messiah would be. What is that child that you hold in your arms late at night that perhaps you rock to sleep for the woman sitting next to you? That perhaps as a grandparent you spoil you love on and then you send them back. What is that child capable of if you give them to God? Hannah demonstrates to us through Samuel they're capable of plenty. They're capable of wonderful spiritual things if we allow God to mold them. And this morning, what about our own lives? You know, I didn't I didn't grow up with a mom or dad that walked me out under the stars and the moonlight and held me up to the stars and moonlight and said, God, do with this child what you want. In fact, I had a dad that wasn't around most of the time. And my mom was working, trying to make a living, trying to survive. That wasn't my life. But later. I had some men and a very special woman come into my life that introduced me to Jesus. 
and taught me to take that walk. And at one point taught me to say, you know, Tony, give your life to Christ. So if your own life is in a place this morning that you need to just hand that over to God and say, God, shape me, mold me, make me what you created me to be. Please be considering that. This morning here at Heartland, we do something very special. And so I want to invite uh, Brother Paul Myers, uh, Brother John Turner, and Brother Jeff Adair to come up here. Because this morning, we take a moment as a leadership to bless the children who have been born into our congregation. Um, these aren't, this is not an all inclusive list. There are some that are going to wait till the spring. Um, But we have three children, beautiful, beautiful baby children this morning that will be blessed by Paul as one of our shepherds. And the young men helping Paul this morning is our um, youth minister, Jeff Adair, and our ministerial apprentice, uh, Brother John Turner. So I'll turn this over to them for this moment.